question. Hi, my name is Caroline. I'm a senior, and I've been an advocate of Belinda's organization, One Million Thumbprints, for a little over a year and a half now. Um, it's been a privilege to be able to call Belinda a friend and a mentor. Um, she sees people and loves them how I imagine Christ would. While these two are independently accomplished, they are partners in work, adventure, and sanctification. They invest deeply in their community and humbly welcome strangers into their lives. I am so excited to have you guys on campus. So please welcome again Stephen and Belinda Bowman. Wonderful woman. Oh. I haphazardly referred to Caroline last night as my covenant slave student. That was. <laughs> she has been God's absolute gift to me. Thank you, dear. I want to pray a dangerous blessing over you this morning. Would you allow me to do that? And if you remember anything from yesterday, sometimes the way to receive the most wonderful blessings are with your hands out. So if you feel so inclined, any time during this prayer, receive what is being prayed over you. <clears throat> May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers and half-truths and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, the exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer in pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and turn their pain to joy. May you be blessed of God with foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done to bring justice and love in this world to all. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. Greetings, friends. We're smaller today, but we're happier. <laughs> uh, we looked at Hineni, this word yesterday, and if you're still thinking, well, okay, I, I, I get the passion, and I, I, this, this seems awesome. If you're trying to figure it out, what did Jesus say about Hineni? So when Jesus said, um, if you seek your life, you will lose it. If you give your life away, you will find it. That's an any. All I have is yours, right? In the midst of our desire to want to be healed and to be strong or to be called, we give it away, we find it. So that's that beautiful paradox in Hineni. So we're doing three words um, about true spirituality. And the first word is Hanani. It just happened to be the word that Belinda emblazoned on her arm. This beautiful Hebrew word of all I have is yours. And when we, <laughs> you must have done something there. Held up your hand. 
all I have. Seen, I'm sorry. I've never seen had so many people come up to me and say, "Can I show you my tattoo?" It was awesome. <laughs> we're, we're really not trying to start a tattoo revolution here at Covenant. I mean, I, I'm I don't have a single tattoo after this week. Who knows? <laughs> True spirituality, Hanani was the first word. Second word, ready for this one? Put your uh, seatbelts on. This one is uh, a little bit more difficult. Okay, so if you want to get a tattoo, you can put this all the way down your back, right down your <laughs> spine. Splatznitsumai. Splach. You've got to have a nice... Splachnitsumai. I've got to say this, right? It's Tuesday. It's kind of like a Monday, right? Splach Nitsumai. Ready? One, two, three. Splach Nitsumai. You got it. I mean, like, theologians around the world have a hard time pronouncing this. So look, here you are, covenant pronouncing this. So what does it mean, Splach Nitsumai? <laughs> the second word of true spirituality. Uh, Schaefer said something pretty astounding. And I, I, I don't know if he would stand by this the rest of his life, because he had a pretty significant sea change in his life, but it was around this word. He said this. He said, look, if um, Christians don't love, non-Christians should judge them as, uh, he just said simply, people should judge them as non-Christian. If you don't see visible love, his language, visible love, then we should be judged as non-Christian. Wow. And that's strong. That kind of strikes the fear in me because I go through a whole lot of days and I can get to the end of those days and think, gosh, did I really, did I really love today? Now, he also said this about the word Christian, that it's lost its meaning. And I would propose that the word love has lost its meaning. And he said, look, if, if a word is devoid of meaning... It, it's required of us to refill it with content. What does that word mean? What does Christian mean today? The question that I posed yesterday. What does it mean to be an evangelical? What does it mean to love? And easy to love, uh, in my case, the Green Bay Packers or uh, the Wisconsin Badgers. Um, I love a lot of countries I've traveled to. I love my life, right? It's, it's love is a very common, popular word, but what do we really mean by love is the question, Schaefer said it's the mark of a Christian. Love is the mark of a Christian. Without love, you have to ask yourself, wait, are we pursuing the right things? Are we pursuing Jesus? So, splachnitsumai is not agape. You probably heard that word, right? This is something different. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan where this sort of outcast Samaritan crosses the road unlike the people that were supposed to, the priest and Levite. And he bends down and he had, and the, the word, the, the scripture there says, he had compassion. Splachnitsamai. He had compassion. You know the stories of Jesus throughout the gospels where he's running to and fro and people are begging for him to heal. And the disciples are saying, you know what, you know, there, there is public relations team. They're like, you know what, you don't have time for this. There are more important things to do. Keep moving, keep moving. And in and, and the words in the scripture, but he had compassion and he stopped. Splachnitsumai. So this word means more than just this sort of abstract love. Of course we'd love, but it means loving from your guts. It means doing, it means action from the seat of your affections. 
your guts. And the word actually means bowels, which is not a very popular word on a Monday nor a Tuesday, right? So loving from your guts is something very tangible. It's earthy. You can see it. Schaefer's word, visible. Visible love. What is visible love? So, splach nitzimah. We're going to just look at a few, uh, few phrases here from scriptures. Um, none of them will surprise you. Schaefer went after this in his book called The Mark of a Christian, which if you Google it, you can get it free. It's not long. It's about 30 pages. Of, oh, it's kind of published now. IVP. IVP just published it. Kind of a long lost book of Schaefer. What is the mark of a Christian? He basically says the mark of a Christian is love, but not just any kind of love. Splachnitzimai. So three loves, love one another. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We've lived our whole lives, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, which you find not just in Christian culture, but you find it in many different cultures. There's sort of this formula. Jesus gives a new command. He trumps the golden rule. He says there's something better. Don't just love as you would have them love you. Love as I have loved you which is a whole different thing. It's a whole different thing. He laid down his life. Talk about giving his life away. So the question is, do we love one another? Now, the longer you function in uh, the world of faith, Christianity, um, you, have war, you have war scars. You, you have these pains and these sorrows about groups and factions and theologies that splinter us and push us apart and all of that's good and there is something that's really important about what we believe but how we go about those differences Lewis said see we must differ or maybe with Schaefer we must differ in how we do we do we differ in how we differ hmm. are we different in how we disagree <clears throat> and Schaefer calls it visible love when you've offended somebody how long does it take for you to work through in your heart and your mind and go out and say, look, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I just messed up. I said the wrong thing. Or when you're talking in a group of friends about somebody that's not part of the group, how long does it take for somebody to say, you know, guys, I don't know if we'd be saying this if, if Ben was here or Abigail was. You know, that's, there's something visible about that kind of love because it's like, wait, wait a minute, I'm going to say something. It takes courage. It actually takes a bit of Hineni to step up in the crowd and say, no, I'm actually going to go apologize. I'm going to say I'm sorry. How quickly are we ready to forgive before someone comes out and asks us for forgiveness? What if they never do? Do we forgive anyway? It's loving where it really costs and matters. Loving one another. Jesus said, look, if you can figure out how to love one another, the rest of the world will say, oh, gosh, that's something I want. I want Christianity because they figured out something that I can't find in my own culture. Loving one another is first. Second, loving the least, the least of these. We talked a lot about that yesterday. Let me show a picture from one of my favorite parts of the world. This is a pastor from Syria, and he's a Baptist pastor, Safita Baptist Church. I don't know if Roy's here today, but he might even know this person. Yes, do you know him? <laughs> do you know Pastor Hazen? Oh, you do. Okay, let me tell you a story about him, but just so you know, back in the corner there is uh, Vladimir Putin pouring water. Yeah, I caught you. He was listening in on our conversation. 
No, it's not Vladimir Putin, but he looks a whole lot like him, don't you think? <laughs> Pastor Mazen uh, Hamati came across the border in Lebanon. I've spent a little time with him leading a, s a small church, a collection of families like many churches in Syria, right? They're not big churches. And all around him, people were fleeing ISIS. Christian Syrians, Baptist church, ISIS attacked a number of villages. Sunni Muslim families were fleeing their own homes and coming near their village. He said there were thousands of families. And he said this, he said, Stephen, through translation, Arabic, I didn't know what we could do. We're such a small church. We're so few people. What can we do to help these people who are fleeing? So he decided to take it to his congregation, a small collection of families, maybe 10 or 15 families, maybe 20. And he told the story. This is what's happening. This is what I found out from the newswire. There are families that are in desperate need. What can we do? He said to his congregation, I've been praying. I've been on my knees. I feel so overwhelmed. What can we do to help these families? And the congregation took their time. They deliberated. They talked. They discussed. And they came back to Pastor Hamadi and said, this is what we will do. He said, we can be like the priest and the Levite and walk on by. Or we can cross the road and find a way to help these people. So in eastern, western part of Syria and Safita, they stepped out and started helping, helping one family, then two, then three families. These Sunni Muslims, this won't surprise you, Roy, said this to the Christian Syrians. Why are you helping us? People from our own religion did this to us. And you from a religion who we don't like, enemies, you're helping us. Why are you doing this? The love of Jesus compelled this congregation to cross the road, just like the Good Samaritan. Oh, I love it. And Vladimir Putin didn't get any intel on us. Thirdly, loving your enemies. So it's one thing to love one another. It's another thing to love the least of these. But this is sort of the ultimate test. Nobody can do these things unless you have the gospel of Jesus running through your veins. That's why Schaefer can say, look, if it's not there, you have not encountered the gospel of grace. You can't sort of just get up in the morning and waltz into life and love your enemies. It's just not humanly possible. We can pretend, but to really press through that sort of threshold requires the overwhelming gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus Christ. Loving your enemies, wow. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Let me show you a quick video clip of a little girl from uh, Iraq near Mosul. She'll mention her town. And she had to flee her home age 10. Miriam is her name. Yeah. 
Lachnitzumaya, I was with, um, this is a little girl from Iraq, she's a Christian, follower of Jesus, and she said she'll forgive ISIS. Okay, what do you do with that? Right, we want justice, right? Yes, we do, but it's very tempting to pray for the wrath of God rather than the mercy of God on our enemies, to love our enemies. Wow. Over in Kurdistan, not far from here, just north, a friend of mine was just with a group of believers there, followers of Jesus, vibrant prayer meetings, long, vibrant prayer meetings. And these are their prayers. God, have mercy on the fighters in ISIS as you once had, or as you have mercy on us. God, bring mercy on them as you've brought mercy on us. Now, what does that mercy look like? We know it should, it has to look like conviction and repentance and change of heart, change of life. And that doesn't rule out that they need to walk through uh, the the process of the law, okay? We're not excusing human law in in the place of prayer for mercy. But do we love our enemies? Have we lost sight of the command of Jesus, even in our own country, when we think about our enemies, whether they're across the world in a country like Iraq or whether across the border? Have we forgotten Splach Zitzamai? You may be picking up by now that this gut level love is slightly disrupting to your normal activity in your day. And sometimes it's entirely disrupting to the trajectory of your entire life. My story begins on Mother's Day, 2013. Stephen and the boys brought up a gorgeous tray with the uh, beautiful French press and a flower and the obligatory burnt toast. (laughs) And right next to the burnt toast, My husband, who knows me so well, slipped a little article, right? Most of your mothers, when you were growing up, got hand, you know, crayon cards, you know, cut out little duckies and hearts and things like that. My card was a little article with the title, Congo, the world's worst place to be a mother. It's Mother's Day. (laughs) One day off. (laughs) That little article packed a big punch. And it motivated something from my guts. And months later, through a series of utter God events, I found myself in a cinder block church interviewing 11 women who were victims of gender-based violence in in the war zone of the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is considered one of the world's worst places, as I said, to be a mother, but also one of the most dangerous places to be a woman. It's a place where rape is considered cheaper than bullets. Esperance told me her story. She said, my husband was murdered in front of me. My children were scattered. And I was raped so brutally that I couldn't walk for three days. And she would have died had her sisters not found her and taken her and cared for her, and loved her 
from their guts. This little community of women have created Slatsitsumai. Um, they have, in the midst of war, in the midst of turbulation, they have decided to forgive their perpetrators. Now, beloved, there are days that I wonder if I can forgive their perpetrators. How dare I if they so bravely do? Their lesson to me was peace in their community in the midst of war looks a lot like loving one another. And they do. They feed each other's children. They educate each other. And now Esperance is a trauma counselor, trained and certified to find women who are wounded and help them recover the grace and love of God. She had her pastor, one of the most trusted people in her life, um, across a blank piece of paper write these words for me. Tell the world. She wanted this story to be known. And underneath that phrase, she took the most intimate identifier she had, the most, um, the most accurate biometric uh, namesake, because she can't read or write. And she stamped her thumbprint underneath those words. And this came to me. That thumbprint became my mandate. Splachnitsunai disrupted my world. It changed the course, the direction that I was going in, much like the Good Samaritan had his course changed. Today, that one thumbprint has sparked a, 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 a campaign called One Million Thumbprints. I added my thumbprint to Esperance. It felt like the right thing to do. If she had enough courage to stand in the midst of her pain and say, we will live a different way and hope for the protection, the prospering, and the, the education and growth of women, even in conflict zones, then I will add my thumbprint to yours. And to date, there have been 8,572 people, brave people, who have added their thumbprint to ours. That thumbprint, those thumbprints, little did I know, um, as we began to investigate and invest in advocacy in such hard, dark places as finding protection for women in war zones, we realized that those thumbprints can become a kind of currency. They're a petition. They're something that we can take to the UN, that we can take to Capitol Hill, that we can take to parliaments and say, what are you doing for these women? These people, each thumbprint represents someone who has their own story, who cares enough to identify with their pain. Those banners have gone to the top of Kilimanjaro. 
And there we prayed over Africa for peace. Those banners have um, been to Congo and I've shown them to Esperance and the women and the visible love that Schaefer talks about when you unroll those banners and say, these are the thumbprints of people who have heard your story, know what you are going through, tell the world, and they have stood with you. You would think that for me, it erupts in tears. Do you know what it erupts in for them? <laughs> Joy and dancing. Because if love gives us anything, it tells us we are not forgotten and we are not forsaken. And it says to the world, neither will you be if you know the love and grace of Christ. So, on November 2nd, we are hoping to make our way to the UN. It's been a bit of a tussle uh, with, our, with um, offices closing in the UN. Uh, we are hoping to meet with some people who have influence over policy as to whether women are protected by the UN or harmed by them. It's immediate, it's applicable, it requires your thumbprint. We have 8,572, like I said. My prayer and my desire is to be able to take 10,000 thumbprints to the UN on November 2nd. Now, would you be willing to consider standing with these women with your most personal biometric identifier. Would you give your thumbprint, your name and your email address in petition to say, I know their story. I believe that they should be protected and should prosper and should have peace. A voice at the peace table in their communities. And I care. Would you give that kind of currency to these brave women? Women like Miriam that stand for each other and need your love. How do they do that? Yeah, so Caroline so graciously set up a table in the back outside in the hall. It's super easy, you guys. There is, um, you, you do what Esperance did, literally. Uh, it's old-fashioned, and you're going to walk around campus all day with a green thumb. That gives me such an awesome opportunity to check your hand. Just saying. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but if you got a green thumb, it's awesome. You put your thumb on the ink pad. I don't know if it's you know, environmentally friendly or if it's hypoallergenic. I don't know. But take the risk. Put your thumbprint on the ink and then place your, place your thumbprint firmly on the banner. There's a little space reserved just for Covenant students because I just am so proud of you guys. You can choose to put your name. There's ink pens on the table. You can put your name right under your thumbprint and own it. 
You can choose to go anonymous with your thumbprint. It's up to you. You place it on there, you go over to the petition, you give your name and your email address. That won't be turned over to the UN or Capitol Hill. These, uh, this information stays with us. It's ours. We will send you updates on how many thumbprints come and if there's any awesome news to tell you. But it's rare. It's not often. We won't fill up your inbox, I promise. That's all it takes. Your thumbprint is our currency to say, change what's happening for their sake. We love them. Do a, do a visible act of love. Let me quote uh, one of my favorites. Nothing is more practical than finding God, that is, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. Who or what you are in love with, mm -hmm. what seizes your imagination will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you will do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you will read, who you will know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love. Stay in love, and it will decide everything for your life. So this thumbprint, may, yeah, it's for Esperanza, it's for the petition, it's for one million thumbprints, but would it be also splakzitsomai? Would it be a, a step for you to say, you know what, I don't want to love abstractly. I don't want to just be one of those people that loves but really doesn't put guts to love. Would this be a way to just, and you'll have a green thumb to remind you all day. And the plants will grow, right? Green thumb? plants. <laughs> Something will grow. <laughs> Let's stand for the doxology. Worship team, come. I want one more quote, which is a fun one about love. If, especially if you find yourself, maybe not here at Covenant, because there's a beautiful spirit here. There's a beautiful spirit here. I've been telling this to your president, Grant, and others. A sincerity. Something here is really quite remarkable, but it's a little bit like the story in the Bible when you go down the mountain. <laughs> it's a little messy out there, friends. Go to the newspapers. Read the newspaper this morning. Ouch, it's so painful. Oh, it's so, painful. so it's easy to think, oh, come on, Stephen. Love is selfish. It's people just love to get something to gain. And is there really truly a pure love for the other, exclusively sort of uh, unbiasedly for the other? Boy, if we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to believe in that love. We've got to hold on to it. Splach Zitzemite. Look at this quote from a guy called Walter Mosley. We are not trapped or locked up in these bones. We're not determined by our fate, by our humanity, or by evolution. We are not trapped or locked up in these bones. No, no, we are free to change. <laughs> and love changes us. And if we can love one another, we can break open the sky. Father, help us, Splach Zitzemite, help us to take love from there in our minds and anchored in our hearts, in our affections. Let us emblazon the world with thumbprints that, that are marked with the quality of Esperance, who so freely forgave and is so freely helping our sisters. And Father, so often we think of the famous people in the world, but here's one that can't even read or write, and yet she has pursued Hineni and Splokzitsa. So might help us do the same. We love you, Father. We want to love you more. Amen. Praise God.